this is the sea this is the sea do mm-hmm. pointed this way he's like this with his phone he's holding his phone filming us <laughs> Going One-handed. 60, bro. Driving with his <laughs> knee. <laughs> he, and he's so confident. The Greenway Outdoors is brought to you by Ram Trucks. Built to serve. Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. Your adventure starts here. Savage Arms. Better comes standard nozzler ammunition world's finest bullets ammunition and brass boss shot shells superior made and american made carlson's choke tubes the only choke tube we've ever purchased on x hunt know where you stand hello and welcome to episode 114 of the greenway outdoors podcast my name is kyle i'm aj i'm jeff i'm ryan so the group in this his house that's what we're going to call the studio from now on nice these are the guys the four of us behind the History Channel show, The Greenway Outdoors. And hopefully you watch that series and that's why you're tuning in today. Now, AJ is the director. AJ, what does that mean? What does the director mean of The Greenway Outdoors? It's like, uh, the, you know, I'm the, uh, the commander. <laughs> I was going to say something. Commander-in-chief <laughs> commander chief on set. Okay. Nice. Okay. Um, Jeff, what do you do? I am the uh, chief operating officer. I do all the jobs no one else wants to do. <laughs> that is 100%. <laughs> because I'm good at them. I do all of the payroll. I do all of the contracts. I do all of the other stuff like that that sounds boring. Mostly it is boring. Mostly seeks permits and insurance yep. <laughs> because I can't – I because I, <laughs> I got mean I to the people in Florida Jeff, and couldn't handle it. Jeff C. Attached Hutchinson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Ryan is the producer. Ryan, what does that mean? Um, I don't really know at this point. He produces. Duh. <laughs> yeah, I, I do a little bit of everything. I dabble in it all: editing, planning, shooting, communicating. In, in two senses. You're also <laughs> the lead and the person that hasn't had one day off since June. I don't something even know. something because I you're, got half a day on you, Labor Day. You're the yeah. You're the lead. I had to tell you to have fun, yeah. and it, it helped you. I noticed. Yeah, <laughs> I did. was like, you need to go. You need to get out. You need to go do I, something. Then I drank half a beer. And you're married. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And you're married, so you can do anything with your wife. It's true. He said, "Let <laughs> loose," and you let loose. Wow. <laughs> uh, but no, Ryan's led the communication with History Channel, and it has been. It's, it's not them. It's just the technical side of things. Yeah. It's just a lot. A lot. We know what twelve it's channels of audio quick. means now. Yeah. 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 We sure. do. We sure do. We sure do. <laughs> now, the two episodes that th- we're recording this um, just before they air on History Channel on September 9th, uh, the Turkey episode and mm-hmm. the 10,000 Islands episode will be airing. Those two back-to-back, 9 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard. And if you watch those episodes, this is meant to be a little bit of a deep dive into those two episodes. And I want to start, obviously, with the Turkey one, which aired first. I didn't want to do a turkey episode. <laughs> I don't want to do a whitetail episode, and I don't want to do a bass episode. Why is that, Ryan? Because everybody does it. Everything everybody. is everybody. <clears throat> always the same, always the same, always the same. And we as an educational reality show that happens to be about hunting with National Geographic level production quality, we did not want to do the same thing that everyone else always does. But if we are going to do it, we want to do it awesome. And at the end of the day, we do like hunting whitetails. We do like hunting turkeys. And we do like bass fishing. But yeah. 
if we're going to do content about it, it has to be different. That's be good. And the problem is, is if you want to bring people in that aren't currently involved in hunting and fishing, the way you do that is through wild and crazy things that gets their interest. White-tailed deer and turkey aren't getting, you know, the the newer generation's interest. And it it's comes with kind a stereotype. Yeah. Like it's, you, 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 oh, I'm a white-tailed hunter. Even you if you so, make so a, quickly, which we like, are, but <laughs> which we are, yeah, it's fine. But it just doesn't. I feel like it when doesn't you fit self, the, when you self-proclaim it, that means you only do that, though. Yeah. And those people that claim that, that's all they do. Yeah. yeah. We're, a, we're a thing of everything. And it, it makes yeah. sense why some people only do that, but it doesn't get people into it if they're not into it. Right. Yeah. It's like there's so much content out there like that that we never wanted to do it. Ironically, the whole point of this, and yes, for you person about to make the stupid YouTube comment, yes, we did do an episode on it, <laughs> so we are indeed explaining uh, why we didn't want to, yeah. but yes, we did do it, and yeah, you made your point. Well, we've... It, we, it's not even that we're against it. There's got to be a way out of making it the same thing everyone's ever done, which is what we did with Turkey. We found mm. a way out of it. That we made it actually interesting, not sitting in a blind, <laughs> hunting, staring into the woods, whispering. <laughs> the whispering gets me. I certainly hope one comes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today we're out here this morning, and uh, 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 we heard gobbles, and it's just... And then, then you got the GoPro shot up in the corner. Uh, from the corner of the blind, looking down on them. Yeah. He's, that's, uh, ugh. So, ah. we didn't want to do that. So, what did we do? We went to South Carolina. And the reason why we went to South Carolina is because it's like the birth state of turkeys in the United States. There was tons and tons of turkeys Re on the land. Rebirth. Rebirth. Yeah, rebirth mm -hmm. is smart. Like Jesus. Yeah. Or that, yeah. Not Something. after birth. They came again. Um, after birth is different. Yeah. That's what you made out of those pills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he pops them every day. <laughs> Terrible breath South after. Carolina was the source. Moving <laughs> on. <laughs> so in the 1960s, in a lot of states across the United States, basically the turkeys were gone because of overhunting that was unregulated. So there was no licenses or anything. Everyone was just shooting them. And last loss of habitat. Coyote populations were up. There's a lot of reasons for it, but turkeys were basically gone. And in Michigan... They were almost extinct in the state. So what they did was in South Carolina, they had these birds that were crazy smart, super good, talented birds at not getting shot or eaten or killed in any way, shape, or form. And they kind of hunkered down into South Carolina. Now they are the of the eastern variety. So there's five different subspecies in the United States of turkeys. Um, I believe so it's or five. Or North America? Yeah, there's mm -hmm. five. And eastern turkeys are the biggest of all of them. And a lot of people argue that they're the hardest to hunt, but then everyone says where they live, it's the hardest to mm -hmm. hunt, so blah, 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 blah. But here's some truth to it. In South Carolina, those birds were still around when they went extinct everywhere else, okay? Mm -hmm. So what they did was they took birds from South Carolina, they trapped them, and then shipped them throughout the United States. So a lot of the birds that we have here today are descendants of birds from South Carolina. So we went to kind of the source of where even like there's eastern turkeys, eastern, you hear that word, eastern turkeys in California mm -hmm. because they were sourced from South Carolina. So that is, that's kind of a neat story and it's kind of like the stronghold for the turkey populations. In addition to that, it's also where the National Wild Turkey Federation headquarters is. So we went and visited them and we learned about all this and they have a, a museum there that was really, really cool too. Super neat. It was neat. And it did have some of the like stereotypical, oh, kids, welcome to the <laughs> museum. <laughs> you do that pretty good. I'm a robot. We went to the museum there and got to meet with their scientists, or their biologists, rather, 
and it was just a really cool experience to see the museum, to see all the work that they're doing. One of the things we learned mostly about was controlled burns. So they took us to an area, and they have got like a ton. They've got a ton of property there, and it's like this controlled burn was done here one year ago. So this is what it looks like a year later. This is this one was done two years ago. This was done three. This was done four, and on the fourth year, it's ready to be burned again. And the idea behind the controlled burns is you're killing all the underbrush, all of the debris, all of the stuff that inhibits young growth. So mm -hmm. by burning it down, you'll create new habitat. And apparently, I heard this from a lot of people, like three to four different people, like said this as a point to me. When I told them about the controlled burn, they're like, oh, yeah, even when the ground is still sizzling and there's still smoke coming out, the turkeys just flock to it and start scraping and digging at it. Like That's they're just cool. like, yeah, they just. They're like, it. I know this is going to be good. They know all the seeds are down there from everything that dropped from above. Yeah, so they, they, they get right in there. So the idea is you kill all that underbrush, you, you kill all that, but you don't kill all the trees because it doesn't burn hot enough. A controlled burn won't kill everything, just the undergrowth. And then that creates new habitat. The following year, it'll be perfect. The second year, it'll be pretty good. The third year, it'll be good for cover. And the fourth year, you do it again. Now, what was interesting to me was getting to see that and before I get into um, control burns and like why we have to do them now, I want to talk about the story of how we ended up getting one on camera though. Hmm. Because originally we were just going to go from, we we're just going to show like this is what it would look like after and maybe we'd light a small fire and film it and hopefully it would look cool. But instead, if you <laughs> saw the episode, we've got this awesome forest on fire. Um, it just looks amazing. It is controlled. amazing. And it was a controlled burn. That was awesome. And Ryan, because this is all you, I think you should get to tell this part of it. it the way it worked out was just looking back fascinating. AJ it, was saying it was Jesus Christ who helped us. He did say that. Yeah, he did. If we looked hard enough from where we were, we could have seen it well, like from the museum. I, we yeah, weren't. I guess. <laughs> we weren't very aware. No. Like um, I said, it's Ryan's story. Um, <laughs> so I don't even remember how long we were there, about a week. And we were turkey hunting. We were doing stuff with NWTF. We were at the museum going out morning, afternoon for the turkey hunts. Unfortunately, we were unsuccessful because they're the smartest birds on earth. No one can debate that. They're the smartest <laughs> and hardest to hunt ever um, because we didn't get any. Spoilers. So yeah. <laughs> we... Uh, kind of just let it be a wash we're like dang this sucks but whatever we go film our last thing at nwtf and we're leaving we're we're leaving nwtf to drive to atlanta to fly home we are on the way to the airport like we're getting out of dodge dejected yes at 5 p.m yeah mm -hmm. like and we had so we got sonic hours after. hours of driving <laughs> it hit the spot it hit the spot and uh on our drive to atlanta like a half mile down the road we see we see smoke everywhere and we're like holy crap they got to be doing one There's, this has to be a controlled burn that they're doing right now and then or we'll at least get footage of a fire and then and then and then uh, panic or not we're getting the footage <laughs> i was like we gotta go we gotta go 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 and we're this like, is up somebody's driveway that's like it, yeah it's like a, a house tucked back way in the woods you couldn't even see the house from the road actually yeah. and then uh I, I'm, I'm fighting to like we gotta go we gotta go, just go see it mm -hmm. and uh 
we ended up going up and this lady's in her front yard gardening doing everything with this giant fire behind her mm -hmm. smoke everywhere and she's acting like nothing's going on we all which is a good sign <laughs> oh my god she hasn't turned around yet <laughs> <laughs> no she's blind <laughs> so gardening th this this woman's doing you her thing the toast th this truck pulls up four dudes just hop out and at first i think she was a little like what's going on right now i then she, she thought we were like military guys or something yeah we were all in camo but i i think too is like you can tell when a woman's there's a certain look women have when you catch them off guard and they wish they would have been more ready than they are to see a bunch of guys they don't know yeah mm -hmm. and, and that was the look she gave us she it was it, she was gardening so she wasn't done up well um and she she made that known to us that she felt bad that she wasn't more ready to go but anyhow, how dare you not prepare for four random guys to <laughs> randomly show up? Yeah. They didn't even know they were going to be there. She's so nice, though. Oh, the nicest. So we explain who we are, what's going on, and she's she's oh my husband's going to love this. So she takes she befriends us within seconds and drives us down to where her <laughs> husband is, way back on their property. In a side by side. In a side by side, we're driving past flames are all <laughs> down the side of us. You can feel the heat through the forest. It was loud too, the crack. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, we meet her husband, and he's ready to go. Teach us everything we need to know about controlled burns, and his name was Charles Kemp. Hmm. And with no pre-production, yeah. he's in the midst of starting a fire, and he's like, "What do you need to know, son?" <laughs> and we, he he yeah, he's mid refueling his his can that he was lighting the fires with, and is re just ready to give us any information we want. Let us film anything we wanted on his property. Didn't hardly ask any questions, and was just like, "Go for it." And yeah. I think we got one of the best pieces we've ever gotten. <laughs> it was I, the coolest thing to see. I give AJ a ton of credit. The drone footage of that fire is obnoxiously good, <laughs> and I give you a ton of credit because it was your idea. You forced us to do it because I thought it was a bad idea just going up somebody's driveway and. What are the odds it's a controlled you get fire? You sketched out by people. Certain certain situations, I'm like, we're not doing that. Yeah, uh-uh. I'll I'm kill not, him. Uh-uh. I got out I, with a I gun. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I was burned out, too. I had a week of not getting turkeys. Yeah. Plus, it's like 5 p.m. I was starving. Well, and, and we're down south, so you don't know. Like, You could very easily come into a situation whoa, where whoa, they're whoa. either yeah, the on, nicest because southern hospitality, or they might be, hey, you're a trespasser. You know, get off, and they immediately feel threatened, and that's a whole different dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we were, and then Ryan, your your footage, and then I, you're like, just say something. <laughs> I remember right before it, he goes, look at the camera and just like say like this, like kinda. So I just did a take, and he's like, good, and I could barely hear him because the crackling was so loud from the flames. And like you said, that segment is in the show, and it turned out to be it was awesome. A one take, one one take, one angle. And it works. It works great. And the footage was just unbelievable. This guy mainly, he, he owns a bunch of property. And uh, he mainly does it because he likes to do uh, quill hunts. So mm -hmm. that's, that's his was his big focus, he was saying, is um, on top of how it helps turkeys. It, I mean, controlled burns help nearly every other species out there. But it has a significant effect on quail, which is pretty cool to hear. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and knowing that... These controlled burns do so much for habitat because they do create nesting habitat for quail and turkeys. For that also speaks to the advantages of uh, clear cutting because it's nearly the same thing mm -hmm. other than just you aren't leaving. You mow the, the grass a little trees. more with the fire. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it's kind of the same idea. Difference, and then we talk about that in the show too, the difference between a controlled burn, starting your own fire, forest fire, versus an actual wildfire, which is basically mismanagement of forest. And that's, that's kind of what started the whole thing for me was, I was like, well, hold on a second. Explain to me why we need to do controlled burns to have turkey populations. If turkeys were so prevalent before we completely wiped them out, that we didn't do controlled burns then. So why did the Native Americans have plenty of turkeys and we don't? And I got to find out that the scientific data lends the fact that there were so many controlled fires that happened be, I'm sorry, uncontrolled fires. There were so many forest fires due to lightning strikes mm -hmm. and that they would just take off. And because there was no fire departments, they would just go. Mm -hmm. So that's what, how it happened. Like it, it still happened naturally. Yeah. The, like the, the, the chunks of earth that have now been domesticated weren't at the time. So it didn't bother. It, it's, it's the same idea as if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? <laughs> well, if a fire starts in the woods and no one's there to see it, does it matter? Right. No, well, it just turkeys. makes it. It just makes the God's natural way of making the forest mm -hmm. healthier. But I, w I was surprised to know the number of lightning strikes there must be with the fires. According to some, they like we couldn't believe how many lightning strike fires there were, and that's what made the habitat for them beforehand. Um, Pretty cool. But now, because we are so civilized and civilizations built up so much, number one, if there's a fire, we put it out. But number two. It can only spread so far because everything's boxed in by cities. There's no, you know, mm -hmm. expanse. And then when there is expansive space, that's what we see on the news when they're dropping David Goggins in there to get rid of it. You know, <laughs> and he's running water up the mountain yeah. on his back. If you have little fires every once in a while, that gets rid of enough fuel that you don't have a giant catastrophic fire later on. And that's yeah. what we have now because we've gotten rid of the little fires that cause the little get rid of the fuel exactly exactly so that 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 was all pretty interesting to me um and to learn about what that's just one of many many things the national wild turkey federation does to benefit turkeys but the amount of science and stuff and research that goes into it was was pretty cool <clears throat> we uh some of the other research that they're doing right now and i attribute it to very similar to white-tailed deer is we have so much research on white-tailed deer that we know how they reproduce. We know what happens, when, what our ratio should be as far as males to females in order to have the healthiest herd. We know all these things. We don't have that information on turkeys. Like, we don't know what the repercussions are of everybody shooting all the mature tom gobblers every year. We don't know what that does to the population, actually. We don't know if taking some hens would be good. We don't know if taking mostly jakes and only some... Uh, you know, gobblers would be good. We just don't know any of that. So they're they're pouring a bunch of money into that research right now. They raised a ton in, into kind of creating the handbook for what we know today about whitetail, but for turkeys. And that's something that's got me pretty excited because I get into the nerd science of the whole thing. Hmm. And then we decided to leave. Yeah. Go home. So then after that, we finally went to go get Sonic and then got it. <laughs> then when we got home, um, I think it might have – was it the second day of the season or the opening day or whatever? I don't remember which day it was. But when we got back, the days the season was together. I know the season was kicking off for uh, Turkey in Michigan, and because we wanted to save the episode, and people have asked me before. I did an interview with Mike Gabriel recently, and he's like, "Do you have to succeed in the show in order to have an episode?" And I hear people say that one of their favorite parts of Meat Eater, the series on Netflix, is that he doesn't always get something, and that kind of attributes to 
how good their storytelling is and how hunting is, right? Like yeah. hunting happens. But I will say the st- the episodes where he doesn't succeed, you normally see some pretty cool action where they almost did. Or they got like yeah. Joe Rogan on or something cool like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we didn't have any turkey footage, Ryan. <laughs> so Nothing. So like – we, yeah. we, we thought we got turkey footage, but when we were stalking this turkey, uh, it turned out to be a log. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it looked we, we very tr- convincing. I, I, <laughs> we tried running this thing down. <laughs> we get there. We ran it down. You were able to keep up? Yeah, we did. <laughs> I heard. I heard there was army crawling involved. Yes. Oh, no one is proud. Uh-huh. Yeah. To happened. be fair, there was a turkey there earlier. <laughs> it happens. There was a turkey there earlier. We tried to get in close to it, but Ryan wouldn't film it when it was there. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened but there was a turkey there and then it got away and then we thought the log was where it went so oh, we thought okay. the log was it yeah. so there's more to it you have to make it sound that stupid yeah. um but, but yeah more to your point you also because we're trying to be educational it's really hard to show people what they need to do to be successful in a hunt if we without showing a successful hunt yeah yeah so, nah. it is hard i think something else bouncing back real quick to south carolina is again they they're saying so they use the turkeys in South Carolina to restock everywhere, right? Well, the ones that didn't get hunted survived when all the other states lost their turkeys, survived it, then survived being trapped and transported to other states without getting caught, and never got killed from hunting. Those guys know what's up. Mm-hmm. They yeah. know they 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 have made it an art not to get killed, <laughs> um, and. That it that is why it is thought that South Carolina eastern turkeys are probably the hardest to hunt because they're descendants of this group of turkeys that just went about their business not getting caught. We were attempting to hunt the Navy SEALs of the bird world, <laughs> yeah. and it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> so we come back to Michigan where they're the descendants of the ones that were easily trapped in South Carolina, got sent somewhere on a car, and then retransplanted, and then descendants of those. Pretty cool. This is the same. This will work just as well. <laughs> yeah. Those guys were a little easier. Um, so we had, uh, in one morning, we killed three birds, and all of them were mature toms. All of them, which was pretty cool. I couldn't have written up a better morning, and it was fun. <laughs> it worked out great. And so the story goes, Ryan and I are set up, and uh, – we have a group of toms in front of us, and they're all gobbling their heads off, and you saw them in the episode, all the different times that were in front of us at any given time. We had one that was coming up close, but there was like a like a ledge in front of us where mm-hmm. it dropped off into the valley. When they would get close to that ledge, we couldn't see them from our perspective anymore mm-hmm. because they're too close to the ledge. Which the way the angle of that ledge ends up being when you're looking out over it is pretty decent. It's probably like 30 yards of like when you're sitting on the ground, you can't... Steepness, too. Yeah, right. So... Just where the, the visually where that angle ends up is you miss a lot of space on where that turkey could end up coming up the hill. And the idea is normally we had two decoys, so we kind of thought I was positioned looking, let's say, at AJ. I was thinking he was going to come up by AJ because last I saw him he was by you, mm-hmm. but it seemed like he was working that way. So I get completely set up that I'm 100% committed to the side thinking that's where he's coming and I've got the gun on my knee and everything, completely ready to go. And Ryan's fixated on that spot, too, for filming. But we have the other gobblers out here to our left as well. And out of the corner of my eye, like where Ryan is, I just see 
I see, see a big shape appear. And I look over, and it's a big turkey, and he's right there. But I'm like this, and he's right at that ledge. So if I turn and I spook him, he's going to be down that, and mm-hmm. I won't be able to see him instantly. Then I'd have to run to the edge of it in order to see him again. And he's running that whole time. There'd be nothing, nothing I could do. Yeah. So I had to remain still. Ryan with the Ronin was able to turn the camera head without moving. Like he just pivoted the head and was able to get footage of it. So the footage is yeah. bonkers of this bird. And he filmed it in 6K too, didn't you? Yeah. So he filmed this thing in 6K so you can see its pubes. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> right there. <laughs> it's just right. It's called a beard. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, individuals. Um, but you could you could see him right there. And I can't move. Ryan can't move. But Ryan's able to film him perfectly because he just, like I said, the head just turned and it didn't spook him at all. And I needed him to get to roughly the left side of where my decoy was in order for me to be able to see him where I could just boom and shoot. Mm. And uh, in the show, it looks like it's like 15 to 20 seconds, but it was a couple minutes, I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it felt like an hour because you're just trying to be still and not spook him. Heart's racing the whole time. And the whole time I'm like, I can't see him yet. I can't see him yet. And the thing's 10 yards from us. Mm -hmm. So and then then in all that time, you get to thinking your heart heart rate goes up and then settles back down and then your heart rate goes up and settles back down and then you get a headache and you can hear your heart beat in your head every twig snap every leaf that drops that was him he's right there yep <laughs> it's just a lot and uh i was also nervous that like that close my spread is going to be like the size of a baseball so i was a little nervous about that too of like what if i like shooting a turkey at five ten yards is not a good thing because it's a lot easier to miss at that than it is at you know 15 to 30 yards. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I was a little bit worried about that too. So I'm just nervous in general. And we had just got back from South Carolina. Like we've had enough, like we need a win here. And finally he gets to the left of the decoy and I shoot and I knocked him off that ledge. <laughs> he just went. Stoned him. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, I was using the boss shotgun shells, the number nines in tungsten, which would be like the equivalent of like fives or sixes, maybe sevens at the, at the, you know, if you were to use lead tungsten is just way more dense and those shells walloped that bird like he was he was jacked up <laughs> and, and even at if he was further away patterning those shells the pattern couldn't have worked out better with the guns we were using so him being so close there was a lot of pellets he took right to the dome <laughs> <laughs> we, we used uh, um his wing was shattered too oh. like it was his neck head and because his head was tucked back by his wing so like he was kind of like this, and oh. he just took it. He just took it, and then I was using. So we were using twelve gauge renegades. Mm-hmm. We we're using the three inch magnum shells from Boss, and we were using Carlson's choke tubes, and it was just mean. So I did that. I shoot him. No, there was the other turkeys that I told you about that were roughly where you're at. They were like forty yards away when I shot, and they went to about sixty away, and they were like pacing kind of unsure and confused so when i first shot mine me and reiner just relieved we got our episode finally everything's good so we hug and we're laughing and excited and because these turkeys hadn't been hunted yet and they're not from south carolina they're like what are these fellas up to now but their food's over there so we got to keep going but they're 60 yards away yeah so i hand like i come to after like a decent (laughs) amount of celebration i go ryan here i hand him my gun because he has a tag I go, I go, shoot, shoot him. He goes, what, what do you mean? I go, just, just, you're, you're good, shoot him. I couldn't get out 
with that combination of gun, shell, and choke tube, he's in range. So Ryan just lifts up awkwardly, crooked, and just lifts up, shoots, stones one. And he just drop, and it just head backwards like it got, got kicked in the face. Got booted by Paul Bunyan. We haven't brought him up in a while. Read, read about Paul Bunyan. Um, but boots him right in the face. Have we and ever brought Paul Bunyan no, up Michigan, once? Michigan tradition. Ironically, when I went to Paul Bunyan as a kid, they had a turkey there that bit my sister, and she hates turkeys now. Good. We were turkey hunting talking about Paul Bunyan. You went to Paul Bunyan? Yeah. I don't know what that is. It's a, it's a, we passed it in the UP, on the way to the UP, just barely on the other side. We all When we went there together. I don't think it's like Paul the Bunyan in a town. Spot? No, it's like a Why like a place where you go to pet animals, and it was like a famous, very big giant guy. It was uh, like a resort. That's thing. where he was buried. And there was like there's like there's like activities to do and it's a petting zoo. Yeah, and stuff. Like, I don't know if you pick apples there, but I could see you picking apples right, there. Right, right, that kind of thing. Like uh, you get donuts and cider, probably candy, corn, rock candy, pet turkeys get bit by turkeys. Water slides, that sort of thing. Sounds exhilarating. Um, <laughs> as a kid, it was pretty cool. Could have pointed it out. We could have gone there. I, I did point it out. Never seen it before. You were asleep. So, <laughs> anyway, circling back here, um, he wallops that turkey, and we're just now we're like, this isn't real life. So my turkey was a jerk. When he went off the cliff, he went into a mud puddle, and then you know they say like turkeys, uh, chicken with his head got off. Well, turkeys do that too. So yeah. he's stone dead, but he flapped uncontrollably Wildly. as much as he could in the thickest wettest mud ever mm-hmm. so he became gross <laughs> in the show we actually use ryan's yeah. as the my bird in the show like i'm going to get it because it was prettier there it looked exact they were exactly the same size this it's just, bird would not like his bird like no you couldn't put that on camera it was just it was <laughs> blown to pieces <laughs> it was covered in mud all wet it looked Raggedy. <laughs> it was bad. None of the meat was you ruined. You have a history of that. I do. Yeah, I Your do. Birds tend to <laughs> throw so... themselves into mud pits. That's I just shoot a... it when it's wet out. Yeah, and it was it, ironically it was the same mud pit that that turkey you're referring to also <laughs> did years prior. But um, yeah, I mean, so we we now we've got two birds down. So we're filming everything. AJ leaves Jeff because he's had enough, and AJ leaves Jeff who he was filming with, and they hadn't seen anything. Nothing. So he leaves, but he sets up wherewithal to set up a camera for him and says, all you got to do is press record if he's <laughs> in the decoys. So we leaves Jeff. We're recording all this stuff. We're about a quarter mile away filming and everything like that. And all of a sudden we hear a gunshot, and I'm 100% sure it's from Jeff's direct. I'm like, that was Jeff for sure. We call you. Not only did you shoot a turkey, but you filmed it perfectly. On your own. Which is now, in a, again... <laughs> I pushed a button. <laughs> yeah, but you still did it. People get excited. Yeah. You pushed the button, and you gave enough time before you shot uh, yeah. that there was actually lots of footage. And your bird was a monster. He had over one spurs yeah. and a ten-inch beard. He was a behemoth, and you it's can see him in that episode. So, and you fell asleep. That's kind I of did. a summary of the. We we had a grueling week leading up to that. All right. <laughs> we had a grueling year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was yeah. a that was a summary of the episode and kind of a little bit of behind the scenes on like what went into it. But I think the episode right now I'm ranking it as my favorite of the season. I just think it's very good. I think there's a lot of action with the turkeys. I think the controlled burn is interesting. I just think all those aspects of it are really good. I agree. 
If you want to be here, it all starts here. At Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's, we have the widest selection of the quality brands you love to get you outdoors. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, our friendly, knowledgeable outfitters will help you find the right products for your next trip. Shop with confidence with our low price guarantee. Plus, club members save even more on great gear with exclusive member pricing. Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's, voted America's best outdoor retailer. season there's a ram legends aren't born they're created introducing impulse from savage the all-new american-made straight pole bolt action rifle unmatched innovation fast reloads maximized efficiency repeatable accuracy Welcome to American Straight Pole. Only from Savage. The next episode we did was the 10,000 Islands, the mysterious one. And that one, I mean, it's almost tough to give a true behind-the-scenes reenactment of that episode because so much of it was legitimately what you saw in the show. Like, there wasn't anything really produced differently. Number one, we went to 10,000 Islands because our buddy Dustin from Bass Pro Shops said, you should go to 10,000 Islands. Nobody goes there. And he was and, right. And the fishing's incredible. And basically, 10,000 Islands, as we said in the episode, was the name given to the 10,000 plus, because there's more than 10,000. They think there's about 14,000 of yeah. these mangrove islets is what they're called, which is like an island with... There, there's a bottom, sure, but, like, you can't walk on it. It's just, like, the mangroves grow out of the salt water, too. Yeah. Um, it's like the ocean version of flooded timber. Yeah. Yeah. So that is uh, – that's what a mangrove islet is. And then there's actual islands as well that have beautiful white sandy beaches, and they're gorgeous, and that's what we ended up camping on. And in that episode, we actually <clears> – um, we went there with no clue what we were doing. No clue. We have no saltwater experience. <laughs> we had no clue what we were doing. So the idea was we we're going to we we're working with Sea-Doo on the episode, so we're using the Sea-Doo Fish Pro, and they had a Sea-Doo Explorer, which is awesome because the the Explorer is great for holding a lot of people and equipment, and the the Fish Pro is good for fishing. So we were s small as far as you know our watercraft goes, but pretty well set up for what we we're dealing with. Yeah. And the 10,000 Islands, we stayed in Naples, and it was roughly a 30 to 35-mile ride to the area in the 10,000 Islands that we were on the water. The problem is storms would blow in so fast, like, you just screwed. So we, you'd pack rain gear in as much as you could fit in the Sea-Doo. 
I would like to say that might be the most fun I've ever had on a trip. I really enjoyed every bit of it. That it was, was a great, by far great the time. funnest trip I think we've ever been on. Yeah, the most fun <laughs> for sure. So we, we set out and we went there the first day. We we're like, okay, let's do this. Let's figure out how to fish and let's figure out where we should stay. Yeah. So we decide to separate day one. AJ and Ryan decide they're going to go check for islands of where we could camp and get B-roll. And I'm going to go try and find fish. So I go out by myself with no understanding of what's going on. And I'm just trying different saltwater things. I'm trying different tactics. I'm trying different everything. And I end up seeing... The, I will say, <laughs> when you're talking about us separating. The GPSs were everything on those sea dews. Everything. You get lost so fast in those islands. Everything looks the same. It does look Everything's the same. Everything's the same. 10,000 of the exact same thing. The, <laughs> your, your best chance at survival, like in a true survival situation, is finding your way to the, to the ocean or the gulf, rather, mm -hmm. and then just riding the coast. Yeah. If other you, than that, if you're in there, you're done. Because once you get back out to the ocean, in the far, 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 far distance, you can see Naples. Oh, okay. Oh, so, right. But 35 miles is a long ways, but you can see like the very like little the highlight. tops of the buildings. Yeah. <laughs> like Imagine the, you get separated. It's like, what, what, how do you find if there's no GPS? We had no, no self-service. There's either. only, there's no, only 9,999 more islands to check. <laughs> this is the one Kyle's on. <laughs> and I don't know if I've already checked this one. I don't, I, yeah. So, just going to the same three islands in circles. <laughs> so it was extremely sketchy um, to, to separate that way. I saw a few boats, but not many. Mm -mm. Uh, we didn't yeah, see very, very many few. people the whole time. I mean, I probably saw a total of four boats the whole time I was out there. And one thing that I marked was a boat that I did see. They were hugging, and there was a charter boat, which makes them interesting, yeah. you know, because the guy knows what he's doing. And he was hugging. Everywhere I was, it was four to five foot of water in and around these islands when I went and checked the day one. It just depends on the tides. He was sitting in a spot where it was 19 foot deep. And it was like that was rare to find. And it was like up the middle. Hmm. And we later found out that they think a lot of those were carved out by pirates who then were able to get their ships in and around and behind the islands. Oh, okay. That's so there's cool. like channels that you could find. So I started fishing those channels. And I was like, all right, I'll use shrimp. And I'll just sit, let the weight go all the way to the bottom. And we'll see what happens. And uh, um, I did. And I was like sitting on the sea dew, like fishing, like bobber fishing. And I set out one line. I was getting ready to set out the second. Figured, you know, whatever. And I saw my tip go like that, like flicker. And I like set the hook. And I'm like, okay. So I bring up a fish. And I bring it up. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, that looks like a redfish. But it's got this weird little barbell thing on its bottom. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, and it doesn't have the spot. So I'm like, it's not a redfish. And I can't get my phone to work. And I'm looking at this, uh, this manual thing, the fish guide. And I can't find it. And I'm like, I just don't know. I think it might be a redfish. So I'm like going through and I'm like, I better let it go. So yeah. I end up letting it go because I, I don't want to get caught with something I'm not supposed to have. Mm -hmm. Rod goes off again, get another one. Exact same fish, same size, same everything. And they're all, all these fish are 16 to 20 inches. So they're like, they're fighting good. And it's a saltwater fish fight different too. Mm -hmm. So I'm just celebrating. I'm getting it. Then I get this crazy catfish that's got like all this stuff going on. And again, I'm freshwater fisherman so I'm like what the I just know that you, aliens you don't mess with saltwater catfish that's all I know you <laughs> yeah. just do not so I like grabbed the hook with the pliers and shook it off and got them off I end up catching five or six of those fish that looked like redfish that weren't redfish mm -hmm. and uh, um, 
I end up finding out later on that I think it's called golf kingfish, but it's a form of kingfish, mm-hmm. and it's like the best eating. And if you get one, <laughs> it's super rare. No it's one's super ever caught. Them. You never get them, but if you do, you'll get them in a school and you can get a bunch at a time. And they're great eating, and blah blah blah, and you all oh, in the limits. You can keep like as many as you want. I don't remember what the number is, but you can keep a ton of them. And I was just so <laughs> pissed, but I didn't know that till I got home that mm-hmm. night. So that was my experience with uh, t- for testing for fishing. I'm like, oh, I'm good though. Now we're on it. So then I'm thinking for filming, we're gonna be great. We go right back to that spot when we go when the next day when we go stay on the island of fishing, and I can't get a bite. Mm-hmm. Doing the exact same thing. And they're just gone. Nothing. But <laughs> Nothing. Go ahead. Well, go ahead. On. I'm gonna look up that fish. You. You tell me. Tell them about what you guys had going on. Well, we. We. I mean, we separated and pretty much just went from island to island to island to island, just checking it out, see what, seeing which ones looked one safe, two, um, visually pleasing, and easy to camp on, um, because we had hammocks, so we needed some sturdy trees to hang from and we ended up finding one and uh you know what's funny is before we went out we were asking people who worked at the boat launch like where people stay out here like what do they do what islands do they go to like what what's this all about because we don't really know we know Mm -hmm. people you can do it but we don't really know like the techniques behind anything again not salt water people <laughs> at all this employee there just like looks at us sideways people don't stay out there <laughs> no one no one does that you're no dumb no one's dumb ever do done that. that no one's ever done <laughs> that. they said no one's ever i'm like dude i know someone who has <laughs> and so on our way out we see people on like the closer islands doing yeah. this so we th- we're, my thought is that they just don't want to deal with us so they're like no one no one camps you can't do that <laughs> I'm like for every five groups to draw, main, someone main, calls in. The main problem was we were trying to figure out where to camp, but also where to park yeah. overnight. Yeah, yeah. And this lady just was not having that. No one ever done this. No one's ever slept outside ever <laughs> in the human existence. Yeah, I don't understand her and process. So anyhow, AJ and I venture way out and end up finding a good place and um, just filmed and enjoyed the day. It was really cool to not be around anybody is the best mm-hmm. anybody you're on a random island that you don't know when the last time someone else was there yeah it was so cool so yeah. cool and then we just kind of hung out filmed some stuff droned did all that stuff while he's catching fish that we could have kept the the fish name know. was actually called the golf kingfish also known as a whiting, whiting which is that's what it was. which is a great fish to eat like sometimes you can get them at restaurants and stuff like that, like catch of the day, but they'll be real expensive because they're so out after. So I let them all go. <laughs> I literally caught five or six and they were all over 16 inches. <laughs> and I'm like, I hate myself. I hate, <laughs> I hate everything. Do you do? Like, that, how do you, I really, if you look them up, Jeff put one on the screen. They, to me, they looked enough like a redfish that I thought they were. And then they were even saying, cause I put one in the live well in the beginning to try and figure out what was going on when I f- was trying to figure out in the paper what it was. And he was like turning grayish and like had these black lines on his back. And it literally, then I'm looking at it later. It's like if you put them in a if you put them in a confined area and they're stressed, they'll gain black lines on their thing. And it's like <laughs> son of a gun. It was kind of like a pike where they start bleeding through the tail if they get stressed. Yeah, yeah. It was like that. And I was like, come on. <laughs> it's like all the things. It just goes to show you that if you're, especially like us, because we're freshwater fishermen, if you're gonna go out and do something that you're unfamiliar with, you gotta do your research and know 
what you're going to target and what kind of water you're looking at because you yeah. never know when you might catch the 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 I, the problem the, pro, the problem did, the I problem did. is this we did the research i i did a monumental amount of research yeah. oh i'm not saying you did you it didn't. seems I, like you're fighting but it's the yeah. o- it's I'm, what, I'm what getting, you do it's the ocean there's a million billion different species that haven't even been discovered yet and you happen to catch the mood ring of fish. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know the uh the thing about it too is it didn't make his checklist and it didn't make the fishing guide booklet that the people gave me at the at the oh, bay right. check yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't so in rare. there it wasn't in there it was, i guess it's not rare it's just it didn't make the, the their, other, their list of 40 yeah. fish they thought i'd catch yeah, yeah. the other frustrating thing about like trying to figure out all the laws down there it's very oh, yeah. like circumstantial where like well if this then that but if this then that if, you're, if pe- you're doing this you can't do that and if the sun's at the 90th degree of the 400th day, then you can't do that. If Mercury's in retrograde, then. <laughs> and and uh, like it's even like every other month, you can't do this. So trying to navigate all that is like down there, I'm guessing people are pretty spe- – like whatever you fish for, that's probably what you fish for because to know all the laws would just be wild. Ridiculous. Wild. How they have conservation officers to n- navigate that and – people tickets so we got <laughs> we got in after that first day though and it was the group of us and when i was waiting for you guys because again we couldn't communicate no. so it was like see ya good luck yeah and then we were all hopeful that the other group knew group me and then you us. two knew how to get in and when we said what time we were going to get in when i beat you guys i got scared because i was a little yeah. late i was like oh, oh yeah that's right F, the greenway outdoors is brought to you by ram trucks built to serve bass pro shops and cabela's your adventure starts here savage arms nosler ammunition boss shot shells wilderness athlete fuel for the rugged tracker boats fish the finest eagle fishing designed for the savvy angler rufus teague barbecues snacks and spices Rectech grills it's more than a grill it's a way of life sea dew make your own waves lem products motivating people to hunt process and prepare their own food quiet cat the leader in electronic bikes for hunting fishing camping and exploring consistency That's what you aim for with every practice shot. So when you're out in the field, you get that same consistency every shot. With Carlson's choke tubes, consistency is what you'll get. Our choke tubes are long-lasting, high-quality, and made right here in the USA. Carlson's choke tubes, pattern-tested, hunter-approved. Find out more at choketube.com. Are you anxious to get going? Knowing that the clock is ticking and time truly is the most precious commodity in the world? Then you, my friend, are in good company. So then I'm standing at the boat ramp, and there's these people that are there. There, I pull my sea dew out, and they're all looking at it because it's you know a new sea dew, and sweet. I'd never seen the fish pros before. And the guy, uh, the guys come up to me, and they're talking to me and asking me questions. I told them who we are and what we do, and that's how we met Avi. And then what was cool is the people you didn't see are a couple of friends of Avi's that also own competitive sea dew tour companies. So basically. 
out of this area because the 10,000 Islands area, people, tourists come and they go on sea do tour rides to see dolphins and, you know, different sorts of things like that. And these guys, these guys were waiting for their clients to come back in so that they could load up all the sea dues and stuff like that. And even though they're competitors, they've become friends over time, which is kind of cool. So they're all just hanging there out as they should be mortal enemies, but they're nice. And this guy, Avi, though, is like telling me all these different facts about the area and stuff. And if you see Avi in the show, he can be overwhelming because he just knows so much. And he's just like pouring this data into me. And I'm like, this guy either is the smartest person here and knows <laughs> everything or he's full of it. And I didn't know yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I end up talking to him and <laughs> Ryan gets off the sea do. He sees me talking to these people. And I think you were I, like looked I, worried because it seemed like they were surrounding me. Well, you know how boat launch mentality is where it's like people get upset really quickly for no reason at all. I don't know what it is about like, boat launches, but people's like tempers are through the roof. It's road rage to the extreme. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so that's what I thought. Like we're rolling up. And the way the interaction was happening from a distance, it just seemed kind of confrontational. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so Ryan kind of rushes over to me, and then he learns. It's funny as like I I sensed what you were feeling. So in the conversation, I alluded towards the fact that I actually I was like, no, I actually like these guys because we just get cornered a lot. Yeah. And uh, um, and then it was like a whole your your whole vibe changed because then you knew. Uh, oh, he said the code word. We're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't need and to say they were awesome. They are all great. So yeah. they're like, hey, we'll take you guys around, and we'll show you the stuff that we don't show anybody, the stuff that only we know about. And that's the things that you saw on the show, from the burial grounds to the fish trap to all those really cool things that they don't show anyone. They took us on this adventure, and I don't want to give too much of that away if you haven't seen the episode, but we saw the drug smuggling shack and all those little elements. They took us all over the place and showed us things that – it's an adventure, and it's unlike any of our other episodes. And that's the thing you're probably realizing if you've seen the first four episodes, you're probably starting to realize not one of them is the same. Yeah, they no. they have different feels to them. They have different emotions towards them. They have different looks to them. They have different adventures to them. And Ten Thousand Islands, I don't think I picked up a fishing rod until segment four. Yeah, you know, and there's four segments in an well, episode. We got really lucky that we ran into them, and they were so awesome because it was. <clears throat> insanely difficult to catch fish after you caught all <laughs> those fish. Ridiculous. It was it was crazy hard. Like I I don't even know how many fish do you think you caught total? Well, one after that with like 4 three? days straight Are of fishing. Are we counting catfish or no? <laughs> yeah. Every okay, well then catfish when when I went with you, when you and I went with the one day, I think I caught probably 5 catfish and a speckled trout. Yep. And then the day we went with Dave, I got two speckled trout. One got off at the sea dew, none of which were keepers. And then I got two mangrove snappers, which they attribute to red tide, just right. destroying so, the area. So they're saying that red tide destroyed the area, and that's why we weren't catching fish. Um, that uh, that drive back on the sea with all of us, that was probably the best, the peak moment. Yeah, yeah. All, all had our own units. <clears throat> Just follow the leader, and then we were on a well, we're theme park ride. We're going 60. <laughs> we're Everyone's going 60. And he's like, don't slow down because mm -hmm. it's super shallow and you'll get stuck. And he goes, and do not go outside of my wake at all because yep. there's uh, oyster shells everywhere, he's, oyster bars. So you'll just hit surprises. them. And we're going 60. And this guy. Dude, oh, yeah, he was like dude, you juggling. Had, you had to want to keep up. We're, we're back to Avi. Avi is leading the pack just 
flying through these islands. 60. Like, like zigzagging through the tightest turns you've ever seen <laughs> on the CDU, where you'd be terrified if you had all your yeah, focus. He's diamond. He's doing cartwheels he, he's, on the <laughs> he, like, I'll, I'll, I'll show what it looked like, him. Uh, on his Sea-Doo going this fast. Like, I kid you not, this guy was flying. It, like, we're uncomfortable on these things, sitting down correctly. Mm-hmm. And he's standing on his like this. So, if this is the sea this is the sea mm-hmm. pointed this way. He's like this, with his phone. He's holding his phone, filming us. <laughs> Going One-handed. 60, bro. Driving with his knee. <laughs> and he's so confident. Going 60, turning. Yeah. With his Tight yeah. turns. Yeah. Like turns where you're like, while like, you're you're white knuckled, both hands just praying. Well, because if you go outside of this one specific path that he only knows from memory, you're gonna waste your bar and you just destroyed the sea dew that you got lent from sea dew. How many sea dews do you think he went through before he <laughs> figured out that path, dude? That I guy's think he's a like wild. Because you said that was 35 miles. Is that the, the entire? Not, the, not that day. That just day getting was, through the, the that that was mangroves. where we where we stayed from Naples was something like thirty five ish oh, miles. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. But with him, it was probably might have been. We covered more miles than that. But yeah, yeah we were just weaving. But we did. But it wasn't like we were. When we went the thirty five miles to where we camped, it was like as if our goal was to get as far away from the destination as possible. Mm-hmm. Where with Avi, we may have gone sixty miles, but maybe only twenty miles from the boat ramp because we were zigzagging. So looking much. for islands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he knew where we were going. And it was just cool because he's out there. <clears throat> the guy got there, builds the Sea-Doo company, giving tours, but then researches this area, constantly exploring it. Because the beautiful thing about the 10,000 Islands is it is where the Calusa Indians lived. So with the Calusa Indians there, number one, they're one of the most feared Native American tribes. They were not thought of to be very nice. They were large people, like very tall. Like there was like... The myths were they were like seven foot tall, which doesn't seem to be the case, but they were six foot tall back then. Mm-hmm. And they say even now that the average is probably like 5'10", but keep in mind, six, seven hundred years ago, that was very big. Mm-hmm. And they attribute it probably to the high protein diet and genetics, but they were bigger people and they were fierce. They didn't get along with many people except apparently the pirates. Yeah, look at where they lived. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing. So one of the interesting facts that you learn in the show is that they wanted to live in these islands. They were secluded. They were away from everything. They lived off ocean food. That's what they ate, seafood, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then the islands were not tall enough. So what would happen is every time there was a high, t- a bad high tide or a storm of any kind, their islands would flood, and then they'd be dealing with flooding, and they wouldn't leave. So they decided they were going to collect oyster shells and stack them up on the islands to make the islands taller. And they figured out that the number they had to get to was 14 foot, which is interesting because to this day, the insurance companies still use 14 foot, that you have to be 14 foot above sea level in order to get flood insurance. No. Because that's the magic number, and the Clusa Indians figured that out thousands of years ago. So they stacked these things up. They they determined that it, how long did it take them to? to 500 years. That's how Avi says it, 500 years to build up these islands, Dismal Key <laughs> and the other one. And the life expectancy of the Native American tribe, the Clusa Indians, was 35 years old. So my point was in the show, I'm like, get, imagine getting sold that bill of goods that you come in around year 300. And it's like, yeah, your great, 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 
great grandkids are gonna have an island that doesn't flood if you keep working. <laughs> yeah. And then <clears throat> you're working towards like the common good of your people every day, one bucket at a time, oyster shells. So you know what that means? That means they built up the island until it stopped flooding. Which means that for the five hundred years oh, maybe they were still dealing with the floods over and over again. It until make, they finally got to the 14 foot. It makes you wonder too if there was any point in time where like they lost a lot of what they had done. I'd have to imagine because no! of <laughs> or or it's like it's like there was your grandpa and father's work for their life gone. Or um it makes you wonder too if there was one guy that was like f- knew 14 foot was the magic number but didn't tell anybody because he knew he couldn't get him hooked in doing it then. So he's like, yeah, I think we're we're just about there, and you're always one more minute. You're always he's, one more year away. He's that guy. Today's the day, guys. <laughs> we're getting it. Yeah, he's like, he's like, but he knows we're we're years away, and then he's got to tell his kids, and then there's one family carrying this dirty little secret. <laughs> that is that. Imagine living in a place called Dismal Key. <laughs> That's the place you pick to live. Dismal. I don't know that they called it that. <laughs> That's true. The fact that it could be called that. <laughs> it was funny, too, because the islands are so confusing that the drug smugglers would use that. And they say that cocaine built the town of Miami. Miami's built on cocaine money. Well, this is where the drug smugglers would hide because they couldn't get caught in there because everything looks the same and they could lose anybody in there. So if you know your way around, like Avi could have lost us if he wanted. Thank God he oh, liked yeah. us. So that is that is one portion of what was used in that area. But also... The tides are really confusing, and certain areas, they ha- it has water, but you can't tell, but it's only one foot deep, and then you're stuck. So what they would originally do, the uh, Coolest Indians, was <clears throat> they would like they would make it look like they would have fires and stuff, so then the pirates would think it was like a place to go, and then the pirates would go in and get, and then the tide would go out, and they get stuck, and then they get, they'd rob them. Oh, nice. And uh, but then eventually they developed relationships with some of the Clusa Native Americans, and then they would actually trade together. And that's when they dug out that channel so that they could hide the pirate ships back in there from the authorities and that sort of thing. And then they kind of had a relationship with the Clusa Indians after they hmm. spent some time robbing them first. But <laughs> hey, how else do you make friends in this so world? What you're, what you're saying is we should go back and look for treasure. Yeah. We did. We did, but there's none. Oh. <laughs> Ryan's wearing a gold chain and a huge Rolex <laughs> and this and that. We're like, yeah. There was none. Yeah, I tell you. There none, I tell you. There wasn't any treasure, and he's got gold teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that it's – it's. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 th- I think that that Island episode is such a different vibe. We went very Avatarian with the music, um, and I think it has a really cool vibe. It's Ryan's favorite. It's my favorite for sure. Um it's just a it's an expedition. Yeah. yeah. It really is. True it's adventure. A, a true adventure. And honestly though, it's replicatable. Replicable. What am I? Uh replicatable. Repeatable. Re- well, yeah, repeatable, but not with me. I'm not going with you. Um re- re- <laughs> Don't hurt yourself. No. Yeah. You could go do that episode. Yeah. There's there's the go explore like the 10,000 islands needs to be known. You can take off from Everglades City. You can take off from Naples. Head out, go into the islands, explore with a fish, GPS. Watch yeah. for red tide. Go at a different time. Go get lost. Maybe find some coke. There you go. Well, you know, have a good time. Cola, diet and, coke, <laughs> and have a good time. The Ten Thousand Islands. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope you enjoyed the turkey episode, and I hope you enjoyed this little bit of behind the scenes uh, into these episodes. And we're gonna do this for every um, every grouping, every two episodes. We're gonna put together this little summary. 
so you can kind of get what it was like for us and the adventure and that sort of thing. And then after we're concluded with this, if you jump ahead to podcast, which would be like 118, we're going to start getting back into our normal role and things. But until then, we're excited to share this with you. Check out the Green Bay Outdoors on History Channel. God, that sounds cool. 9 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturdays. We've worked so hard on this series and continue to, even to this day, and hope that you guys are enjoying it. Thanks so much. Stay green. Thank you.